When you think of Arizona, maybe you picture an expanse of desert, groups of cacti or the sweltering heat hanging above Phoenix. But as you drive up north, the desert turns into mountains and Flagstaff rises like some strange transplant city in the middle of the Red Rock. Somehow, in this seemingly barren landscape surrounding Flagstaff, there's a ski mountain looming in the distance. While this white giant may look idyllic from far away, the realities underneath are anything but. This mountain is called Snowbowl, but that isn't its true name. The Hopi people that have lived in the Flagstaff area for generations, since 1150 it's claimed, call this mountain Nuvatukyaovi, or the place of snow on the very top. That is because Snowbowl resides on the San Francisco peaks, which are held as sacred to 13 different Native American tribes in the region. These tribes include the Navajo, Apache, Wallapai, Yavapai, Hopi, and other Native nations. The peaks are a site of ceremonies and religious activities, including those related to the world's water and life cycles. The San Francisco peaks are a sacred place of worship to the Hopi. This land that is sacred to so many people is also the site for the ski enthusiasts of Flagstaff to blow off steam and enjoy winter sports during the months of about November to April, over six months out of the year. How can weekend warriors and people looking to worship sacred land coexist in harmony? So far, they haven't found a way. In 1938, the ski area's original base area is established in Hart Prairie. A rope tow powered by a cartwheel and small engine pulls skiers uphill. This relatively simple and small style of skiing continues for about 40 years until 1979, when the U.S. Forest Service, perhaps seeing the money to be made, approved a vast commercial ski area complete with new lifts, trails, and facilities splayed across the pristine peaks. A lawsuit soon followed against Interior Secretary John Black, sponsored by local conservationist Dick and Jean Wilson, the Navajo Medicine Men's Association, and the Hopi Tribe. Hoping to slow the creeping industrialization of these sacred mountains, their plea was met with defeat in 1983 when the U.S. Supreme Court declined to even hear their arguments. For almost 20 years, the U.S. government and indigenous tribes fought back and forth over these lands, even though the San Francisco peaks were deemed a traditional cultural property, which allows it to be eligible for consideration as an official National Historic Register site, Snowball Remains. Then, in 2001, in an effort to prolong their ski season, Snowball decides it's going to make sewage snow. Not quite, but pretty dang close. The resort is approved for development of snowmaking equipment with the U.S. Forest Service. A year later, they sign an agreement with Flagstaff City Council to sell 1.5 million gallons of reclaimed wastewater per day during the winter months to Arizona Snowball. Now the resort is set to spray mildly treated sewage on the San Francisco peaks to squeeze out more ski days as well as make it more reliable. And in 2005, Coconino National Forest approved snowmaking with reclaimed wastewater at Arizona Snowball. This decision brings suits from tribes and environmental groups against the U.S. Forest Service due to both the disrespect to tribal lands and unknown health and safety rips of the brackish water. From 2006 to 2007, the decision goes back and forth multiple times. Finally, in August of 2008, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals says Arizona Snowball can make water with reclaimed water and go ahead with other improvements despite tribal objections. And this is how Snowball operates today, with prolonged ski seasons from man-made snow, a painful reality for the tribes that honor these peaks as part of their religion and history. So the question becomes, where can we find common ground over this uncommon land? Snowball does not publish its revenue, but brings in over 140,000 guests, and the U.S. Forest Service seems pretty unwilling to turn away such a hefty profit. Even if they did, the outrage from the users of ski pole toting variety would be avalanche-worthy. Is there a different approach? So we go back to a single car motor and a single skier toting rope up on that hill. 
Or do we ask tribes with centuries of tradition and history to back off? Or is there a middle ground, one that incorporates leave-no-trace principles, upholding wildlife as an important aspect of the land, and respecting others' beliefs and cultures surrounding the natural area? Maybe there isn't a perfect marriage between outdoor recreationalists and tribe members with deep history and reverence with the San Francisco mountains. But why is it that the dream for these mountains is so different between the two of them? Outdoor recreationalists should be just as invested in the preservation of land as indigenous tribes. Is this a communication problem? An education disconnect? Maybe skiers simply don't know the history of the land, the ecology of it, the names of the birds that sing them down the mountain. What is the common goal and how can these groups merge to meet it? Watching skiers bomb down the bleached, semi-urinated slopes is a fun way to spend the afternoon, but it's hard not to imagine what these mountains would have looked like without them. If you can look past the stark black veins of ski lifts, the pungent smell of chili and cheap beer, and the shrieks of fallen children, these mountains hold a vast serenity. They feel sacred, a holy amphitheater. So yes, snowballs wear Arizona skis, but maybe the question is that if they can't even ski on real snow, should they?